Where is Balake at? There's no Balake here today. Yes, sir. My name's Blake. Are you out of your goddamn mind? Blake. What? Do you want to go to war, Balaki? No. Because we could go to war. No. I'm for real. Okay, kids, here we go. Next seminar up October 13th through the 15th in a couple weeks with a few spots left. Then December 8th through the 10th. And then February 9th through the 11th. Another coaching workshop on the list, October 21st in Long Island. This is open to anyone with no prerequisites. So you could be a personal trainer, fitness instructor, or just somebody that wants to get better at coaching friends and family. We go through the starting strength methods and principles, and participants will have the opportunity to take each other through the five-step deadlift setup. Then we have a self-sufficient lifter camp November 4th in Wichita Falls. That's covering the squat press deadlift, how to film yourself, and how to diagnose your own technique. Just added a press and bench press camp November 11th in Orlando at Starting Strength Orlando. Deadlift and power clean camp going on December 2nd on Long Island. And then a couple squat and deadlift camps on the list November 4th in Indianapolis, Starting Strength Indianapolis, and November 12th in Baltimore at 5x3 training. Finally, some three-lift camps covering the squat, the press, and the deadlift. October 21st in Brussels, Belgium at Brussels Barbell. November 19th in Glasgow, Scotland. And December 9th in London. Speaking of Starting Strength gyms, we do have two new gyms on the books with pre-sales going on right now. Coincidentally, both of these gyms happen to be in cities with the worst goddamn traffic I have ever seen. First up would be Starting Strength Atlanta. That's available for pre-sale right now. And then we're putting another location in Austin. This one's going to be south of the river because everyone knows people won't even cross the river in Austin to get laid. So we've taken another gym, put it down south for folks that are unwilling to drive north to the existing gym. That'll be in the Sunset Valley area. That's also available for pre-sale. For more information on either of those locations, head over to startingstrengthgyms.com, scroll all the way to the bottom, hit the locations tab, and find out more. And as usual, for more information on any of the events that I've talked about, head over to startingstrength.com and check out the right-hand side of the homepage. From the Asgard Company Studios in beautiful Wichita Falls, Texas, from the finest mind in the modern fitness industry, the one true voice in the strength and conditioning profession, the most important podcast on the internet. Ladies and gentlemen, Starting Strength Radio. Welcome back to Starting Strength Radio. We are here this week with uh, a new friend of ours, Greg Elifritz. And Greg is a firearms instructor, and he does all kinds of other interesting male-like things. And uh, and we're gonna we're gonna talk to Greg today about um, an interesting male-like thing that happens to a lot of guys. And we've talked about this several times on this on this show prostate cancer is a concern for all of us primarily because they've made it a concern for all of us because it's a big giant industry the uh the psa thing has uh has caused a whole bunch of people to get a whole bunch of unnecessary shit done that fucks up their lives you know i've had uh, you know, buddy of mine got killed by this. And uh man that was a mentor of mine for many, many years. And uh, some local quack chopped his prostate out on the basis of a slightly elevated PSA. And it's just, you know, the whole damn thing is just, it's it's sickening. And, and we had a, on the show with us uh, a while back a doctor in... Uh, 
Alpharetta, Georgia, by the name of Joe Bush. And many of you have watched that podcast. And Dr. Bush was uh, extremely informative. And uh, and so what we're going to do today is talk to one of his patients. And uh, Greg went out to Dr. Bush's office and had a bunch of work done. And we're going to let him tell us this story because I want you people to pay attention. Pay attention. You guys, you go into the doctor's office and they say, oh, your PSA is elevated. It may not mean anything. And we're going to talk about why. We've, we've discussed this before. Uh, it may be terribly important for you to pay attention to it. But it may not be, and you need to think about this very carefully. Greg, thank you for being with us today. Thanks for having me. I've been a fan for a long time. So tell us what's going on here. Tell us what happened to you. Well, um, my father and two uncles all had prostate cancer. Uh, so uh, my dad had a very negative experience with the treatment of his. Um, so I was, I've was i been on the lookout for prostate cancer since my mid-30s. Uh, 20, January of 2020, uh, at age 47, I got diagnosed with prostate cancer after a series of high PSA checks. I waited a couple of years. They were gradually moving upwards. Um, but like you said, there's lots of reasons that the PSA can rise. It could be an infection, could be uh, lots of sex, could be bicycling. Lots of things can cause a rise in the PSA. Yeah. So I wasn't, wasn't too worried about it, uh, but it kept rising, kept rising, kept rising. Uh, one of my students, uh, as a well-accomplished urologist. And so I called him up and said, hey, you know, I got this going on. He said, we need to get you in for a biopsy. So had the horrific biopsy and got diagnosed with prostate cancer. Well, so, uh, and you were 47 but, at the time, right? I was, yes. And what was the PSA? My PSA that at that time was 12.3. Uh, right. And uh, they want it below five, right? Yeah, below four is anything above four is in, in someone of that age is generally indicative of, of some kind of a problem. Right. So well, mine, that's, that's mine, went from four, mine went from four to eight in a year and then went from eight to 11 the next year. And that's when I decided I better do something. It probably wasn't some innocuous cause. Right. Well, maybe I ought to be worried about mine, but somehow I'm not. Last <laughs> well, time, I told them last time they checked me, mine was 11. And, okay. uh, and I said, uh, all right, in the future, do not put that on the test battery. I don't want to see it on the panel. I'm not interested in my PSA and don't bother me with it again. So they, I haven't had, had any, haven't had any problems since. No, you know, I, no. I, I did a massive amount of research on this, um, and it's really rare that you have prostate cancer that has escaped the prostate gland when it's the PSA is under 20. And it's normally somewhere between 20 and 100 before it spreads. So I made the I made the decision even after my diagnosis, even after, you know, I got diagnosed with four different 
tumors or lesions in my prostate. And uh, two of them were really bad, very aggressive ones. I made the decision not to do, get treatment until mine was approaching 20 because uh, I, the, the treatment is just horrific. Well, you've got family history and you had a reason to be concerned. I don't have a family history of any kind of cancer at all. So uh, I just, I, I've just told them I don't want to hear about it. You know, there's a lot of reasons why PSA is elevated. And if you understand what PSA actually is, then it, it kind of makes sense. Yes. And uh, I remember a long time ago when this, this industry first started up, and it is an industry. Uh, no doubt. It. Uh, I went to the urologist for, I don't remember what the hell was going on, but I've, and, uh, and I've never had any BPH at all none mm -hmm. whatsoever and uh he uh um told me about psa and um and i think i told the story on the podcast we did with previous guys about this i asked him well what is psa he said it's a prostate specific antigen and i said well that's not my question what is psa what is the chemical what is it a protein? What, what, you know, I had the benefit of, you know, remembering my college chemistry and shit and, uh, my biology education. He said, he, he actually sighed, you know, he said, <laughs> it's prostate specific antigen. I've already told you what it is. And I said, you, you still don't understand the question. Why, why would the cancer in the prostate manufacture a signal for you to know it was there? It doesn't. And he, he says, <laughs> he just shook his head, couldn't believe how stupid I was. <laughs> and, you know, this is fucking doctors. It's just, God damn it. It's yep. just, I mean, over the past three years, if, if, you people watching this are not cynical about the medical profession anymore, the medical industry. You are a fool. These people are a little bit smarter than the average population. And they're good at memorizing things, and that's how you get to be a doctor. And uh, he was able somehow to memorize the fact that prostate-specific antigen was what PSA was. And, I, you know, I'm just it's so at any rate uh you know i dug into it a little bit and i i said you know it's just this is this is look if you if you are coming on a regular basis your your psa is going to be elevated Correct. you know if you're sitting on a on a hard surface and applying pressure to your prostate you're going to be mashing psa out into the into serum and all of these things have to be taken into consideration and an elevated PSA may not be evidence of anything at all but True. with a family history like yours you had some things to worry about yeah, and I, I didn't know any better. Uh, you know, I, I've been suspicious of doctors in the medical industry for years, and that's why I kind of kept an eye on things and avoided treatment. Uh, you talk about the industry. My dad was diagnosed with his prostate cancer based 
solely on PSA. They never even did a biopsy. And uh, he had brachytherapy with radioactive seeds implanted in his prostate, which was a horrifically painful surgery oh, back when God. they did that and caused all kinds of urinary issues that he still suffers with today. So I was real leery about the treatment aspect of things. But yeah. um, I trusted my, my student. My student was, I went to my doctor, a longtime student of mine. He was a good guy. I I believe he had my best interest at heart, uh, and I trusted uh, what he had to say. And he said, the next best step, you need a biopsy. And so that's what I did. The biopsy, uh, for those of you who aren't aware of how that works, it's um, you are not anesthetized. You uh, There's a local anesthetic applied, and uh, it's the standard biopsy is done through the rectum, and they take between 12 and 24 chunks of your prostate out with a needle through the rectum uh, under local anesthetic. And, One of the most barbaric not, procedures. More importantly, through the, the heavy, tight membrane that encapsulates the prostate gland. Correct. In other Correct. words, if you've got an encapsulated tumor, they just poke 12 holes in you the got prostate. It. And... Uh, this is, you know, I'm, I'm convinced that my buddy was, I mean, he metastasized within a year after that, after that biopsy and it was all over everywhere. And he, you know, he was 62. Yeah. This guy was yep. 62. Yep. And I wasn't through learning shit from him and mm -hmm. it pissed me off real bad that urology is such a, I mean, goddamn, are they not any better than pediatricians? You know, how do you, Something. how are you as bad as a pediatrician? Yep. You know, yep. um, I, you know, I'm a retired police officer. I'll, I'll tell you when I got up after that procedure, I, I thought, you know, I've seen homicide scenes with less blood than is laying on this table right now mm -hmm. after that biopsy uh, and just didn't know any better at the time. But, you know, the standard biopsy is blind. They just randomly kind of guess where your prostate's at and stick needles in it so they can get different chunks from different sections and um, hope they get lucky. And well, uh, I mean, do they ever penetrate the urethra? I mean. Uh, you, it's usually not you the urethra, to. but it's possible. But it's mostly mostly you get uh, rectal infections from it. I I tr ended up being fine, um, but um, there's a lot of about ten percent of the time they get uh, infections from penetrating the rectum. Well, good. So. <laughs> uh... So there's there's other ways to diagnose this that I've since learned about um, and would advise, but I went the traditional route. Uh, they diagnosed me with four different lesions. Uh, two of the four were what called Gleason sevens, four plus three. The Gleason scale is what's used to identify how aggressive the tumor is, and those right. were moderately aggressive tumors. Right. So, uh, and you know, there might have been five or six. Who knows with the Yes. Random scattershot uh, testing method of the 12 needle, 20 needle biopsy. They, you know, at any rate, you had to have something done. Uh, yeah. Right. So, you know, the, the doctor who's my friend told me, Hey, you're young. The most successful intervention we can, we can do for you right now is a radical prostatectomy. We need to take your prostate out. 
And I went to two other doctor friends, um, all my students, and asked them for second opinions. And all three were in agreement. Your best chance is getting your prostate taken out. Uh, well, radiation. This is an excellent question. Best chance for what? Uh, now, that's, that's, that is the issue. It's the it best the chance issue, for long-term survival, but it's not the best chance for quality of life. Best uh, chance for long-term survival may be irrelevant if you can't fuck that's, and you have to wear a diaper all the, the goddamn decision. time. That was a decision I made. I, I went home and I researched. I read every PubMed study done on prostatectomies in the last 10 years. And... The the studies are kind of a sham anyway. They change the definitions of things to make it seem a little bit better than what you are reading. But bottom line, and looking at all this stuff and talking to lots of people, there was almost zero chance of me ever having an erection again with the placement of my tumors and about a 70% chance that I would be leaking urine. Um, and so I looked at, looked at my survival and... Uh, the with the type of tumors I had, I had a 93% chance of five-year survival and about a 10% chance of 10-year survival. Right. Well, I'm young, I'm healthy, I work out a bunch. I, I figured I'd rather have 10 years of a normal life because I didn't have any symptoms at all from my cancer. I'd rather have 10 years of a normal life than 25 more years of no sex and wearing a diaper. So I decided not to treat it. 100%. 100% agreement. That's that's just that is an unacceptable solution. It's Correct. completely unacceptable now for some people, maybe that's fine. Maybe that's fine. Maybe, you know, you don't care about these kinds of things. But uh I am with you. You know, I I'm just not that's that's not a a, a set of options I'm even even willing to consider for a second and a half no no way nope. man neither no neither so i um i chose not to do it and i just kind of resigned myself that i'm going to be dead within 10 years i'm going to enjoy my life and i'm not going to worry about this thing and i kept monitoring psa uh and it kept going up and going up and going up um and i I do a lot of writing on my tactical blog and i had a reader that i never met um send me an email and say, hey, you need to check out this Dr. Bush guy. And uh, as it was going up and nearing 20, I decided I don't have anything to lose by going down and getting another opinion. Right. Uh, Joe Bush was on our podcast. Those of you watching this today need to uh, go ahead and pony up. Join the fucking network. It's 75 bucks a year. And go get go look through the library and find the Joe Bush podcast and watch it. Don't just listen to it. Watch it. This is a, Joe is a good guy and, and he's a funny son of a bitch, but he's a, yes. but, but he is a good guy. And he's one of these guys that you immediately will trust because there's not a, not a gram of bullshit anywhere in the guy. And he's very good at this. He is not afraid to pioneer new things. And this is a uh, this is a terribly important thing for those of you that are that are still buying into the PSA scam because it's a scam. 
it's absolutely a scam. For the vast majority of people, it is a scam. And a whole bunch of people have had a whole bunch of bad things done to them because of the, this particular part of the medical services industry. We don't call it health care now. It no. can't be reviewed. It can't be viewed as health care. It is the medical services industry. That's all yep. it is. It is another industry. And uh, your experience with uh, Dr. Bush was as follows. Yeah, I, I went down. Uh, the thing Dr. Bush does a little differently, he's a radiologist, and he has one of the most sensitive MRI machines made in the world. And he's really, really good at reading the MRIs. And he can show you with great probability exactly where the cancer is and what size it is and roughly how aggressive it is based on uh, the density of the tumor. So I decided I didn't have anything to lose. I would go down and get the MRI and I would talk to him. And uh, Dr. Bush told me um, he confirmed that I had these four tumors. And he told me one of them was very, very close to breaking out of the prostate capsule wall. Uh, he told me probably I would have 18 months before it metastasized um, if I didn't do something about it at that point. So that kind of changed my decision because at this point it had only been a little after th more than three years after my diagnosis. Um, you know, I'm thinking I got 10 years and now I got 18 months until it starts spreading and starts causing big problems. So um, I decided to seek treatment with him uh, the treatment that he does, uh, one of the treatments he does, is a newer treatment that's called the Tulsa Pro. And what it does is it uses intraurethral high-frequency ultrasound to heat up the tumor to a temperature that kills the cells. Uh, all of this is done in an MRI machine that is monitoring the temperatures of surrounding structures real time. So they can put the heat on the tumors and av avoid heating up the nerves right. that uh, control sexual function and urinary function. Or burning a hole in the capsule wall. Correct. Right. Correct. Well, yes. So uh, I hope they put you under general anesthesia for this. They did. They Good did. I was a little them. bit worried about that. It, Good it was, for them. Uh, it, um, <laughs> I don't want to be there took, for that. <laughs> no, when I took a look at the stuff that they did. So, you know, the advantage of this intraurethral, they, they've had this something called HIFU, which is rectal ultrasound doing the same thing. Uh, but the advantage of the urethral is the urethra goes right through the center of the prostate. So they get to cook the prostate from the inside out and the nerves are along the outside edges of the prostate. So when they go through the rectum, they they can't help but heating up one of those nerves. Um, a little bit of advantage there going through the urethra. But uh, looking at the instruments that they inserted into me, um, I would say the, the urethra application wand was probably the diameter of my little finger. And then they also inserted Jeez. a big rectal cooling device to further cool down the tissue that wasn't being irradiated. Yeah, so you I want to be out for that. I was out. Yeah, I was, I was completely yeah, out yeah, for all Yeah, you want to be out for all of that, right. Correct, correct. Right. Yes. So well, uh, I took... 
yeah, it took almost two hours. So it was, I was out for quite a while. Um, two yeah. hours on the table. Yes. Yeah, they, right. they completely remap your prostate using the MRI, uh, and they program the computer to heat up just the um, just the tumor areas and avoid the other ones, uh, and it's quite a process. Well, uh, so what happened after the surgery? So after the surgery, woke up, um, I felt a little bit sore, kind of like a... a a heavy deadlift day. My back and low back and abs were a little tight. That was the extent of the soreness. I had a catheter, a urinary catheter that I had to wear for eight days. Uh, the length of the catheter depends on how much tissue that they remove from the, or kill from the prostate. Um, they have a formula that they do and it might ended up being eight days. Uh, but I walked out of there and went out to dinner with my friends that night. No problems at all. Other than the annoyance of a urinary catheter. Uh, I was, I was just kind of like mild muscular soreness for two days. Mm -hmm. And that was the extent of the discomfort that I felt. Well, so way, way I, better know, than if the, somebody the traditional had shoved their little finger up my urethra. <laughs> I would probably be complaining about some soreness. Nothing, nothing. Wow. Uh, it was it was crazy. I mean, I the the catheter itself was irritating. You know, you got this thing sure. dangling at the end of your. Oh yeah, and yeah I've, I've just no no fun. But had, um, had it, it was a couple of times. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't sore at all. Um, I took. Um, Took a couple Tylenol the first day. Uh, he's ne Dr. Bush has done about over 250 of these now, and he's told me he never had to prescribe any kind of narcotic medication for pain relief out of this. Mm -hmm. I took a couple Tylenol, and I was absolutely fine, no issues at all. Well, you know, you look at you look at the traditional uh, prostatectomy. You know, one to three days in the hospital. You know, very limited movement, catheter uh, for a much longer period of time. Uh, it was uh, a much better trade off than the traditional surgery. So, uh, what was the follow up on this? So they send you back home, back to I Texas. Go back home two, two days later, back to Texas. Um, I took the catheter out myself at day eight with no issues. Um, and having had a catheter before, uh, I would definitely recommend taking out yourself rather than having uh, the doctor pull it out. Dr. Bush uh, gave written instructions on how to do it. It was completely painless, no problems at all with that. Uh, had antibiotics for a little while afterwards. Um, and that was it. Uh, I, I had a limitation on heavy weightlifting for six weeks and that kind of bothered me a bit because i'm a lifter and uh, you know i talked to dr bush about it and you know i said hey i'm 20 years younger than your average patient i lift a lot you know i know your standard recommendations are what they are but give me the real deal on this and he was straight up with me he said this isn't anything muscular wise he said you know the high frequency ultrasound the heat temporarily weakens the urethra and if you lift really heavy you have a chance of tearing your urethra so it isn't anything to do with your fitness your urethra just needs to heal so i had six the weeks of pressure. no weightlifting and yep, you, six you, weeks of no weightlifting right um, well see but, now that is the difference between dr bush and the standard 
medical approach because yes. the standard guy would have just said, well, it's just what we do. Right. Correct. Not why. Correct. This yeah. is just what we do. We recommend six weeks. So just, I, I want you to not lift anything for six weeks. But yeah, but why? Right. So Joe right. told you what's, you know, doctors, why do they not? This is a real good question. I think this is an excellent question. Why do they not deal with why? Because, I don't think they know. Because they don't know. There's there's only two there's two explanations. They don't know. Or they don't think you'll understand. Possibly. Yep. So neither yep. of which are acceptable. No. 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 You know, I, I've had I've had various surgeries before after various incidents and injuries, and you know, I I had the same thing you're talking about. All the doctors, you know, don't lift for eight weeks. None of them could tell me why. And a week later, I was working out without any kind of problems. But right. you know, um, the caution from Doctor Bush: Hey, you don't want to lift anything heavy because you don't want to tear your urethra. That that made that, me uh, stay well, away from the that, weight room that, for six weeks. That's that's a reasonable that's a reasonable <laughs> thing then. That's quite yeah, reasonable. Yeah. And if, if the, you know, the wall of the urethra is significantly weakened by the, by the heat, it's got to heal. And yes. if, if you tear it, now we've got a very unpleasant revision procedure that has to be correct taken correct. care of. So it's uh, yeah, bad deal. Yeah. Bad so deal. the only, the only thing, the only restrictions were no sex and no uh, heavy lifting for six weeks. And right. after that, right. all restrictions off. And everything's been fine since. Yeah. So, um, got back. It took me probably 10 weeks to start getting my erections back normally. Right. Um, that, and that varies, you know, there, there's some research out with this that say some people don't get it back, uh, for up to 18 months to two years, wow. uh, can, so it's really varied on how much uh, of the um, prostate was hit and whether or not they it was close to the nerves. How or not. close but, they got to the nerve because nerves right. heal very, very slowly. That, that's exactly it. So, so yeah. there's two nerves there that control that. And uh, one, of my, one of my tumors was adjacent to those nerves. So um, Dr. Bush has had patients that uh, have recovered their erections within a week, you know, as soon as they remove their catheter. It, it took a little longer for me. Mm-hmm. I never had any urinary issues at all. As soon as I pulled the catheter, I was completely continent, no drips, no nothing, uh, uh-huh. even with heavy squats and deadlifts, sprints, no problems. Uh, and then started getting erections back um, about half speed, about 10 weeks. And it's just been a steady improvement since then. So it's been, um, it's been nine months now since I've had my surgery, feel good. Everything's working perfectly. Um, had a six month follow-up MRI, no, no, uh, sign of any cancer anywhere. It looks like it's all gone and I've got no side effects at all. Well, this is a, just a absolutely stellar outcome for this kind of a situation you know yeah and i wonder how many people could say the same thing about the standard uh medical industry prostatectomy approach i bet nobody can say that 
No. And, and they change the definitions. And this is what people don't understand. You know, the, the doctors will tell you after the standard prostatectomy, you have a, a 30% chance of having erectile difficulties. But what they consider erectile difficulties aren't what you and I would consider erectile difficulties. They don't consider it a difficulty unless Viagra, Cialis, and the injections don't work. So they assume they assume going into it that you're going to need some type of a prescription medication to get hard again. And only when that fails, do they consider it a failure for the purpose of the study. So when you really look at those numbers, that 30 percent of people that they say it's really get about 90 percent. It's really over ninety percent. Yeah, um, and then they yeah. don't consider they don't consider urinary problems as long as you're using fewer than one pad a day, just oh, some minor man. drippage. Uh, that's not a problem. You might that's leak not a, problem, a little no. bit. No, of course. Right. Not. So that's so that you know when you factor in that, you know now you're you're at the 80 percent of guys who've had the traditional prostatectomy that are going to leak, depending on where their cancer is and what they had to remove and all that kind of stuff. But um, you know, comparing that, that that was why I decided I didn't want treatment until I you know talked to Dr. Bush and found this alternate treatment that's only been approved in the USA for three years now, um, I, I wasn't going to get the treatment because I wasn't going to tolerate those side effects. Well, I mean, that is a, that's a certainly a consideration. Um, a lot of people, uh, that are handed a diagnosis like this, um, have got uh, a serious decision to make. Do you want, how bad do you want to continue breathing? Yeah. How bad do yeah. you want to just be here? Now, there was a thing yeah. in the news a couple of days ago that uh, that I saw that was maybe the most horrible thing I've ever read. A uh, woman got an infection, and uh, they attributed it to tilapia, eating tilapia. <laughs> okay. She got an infection. Did you see this thing? No, no, I didn't see it. Well, this is listen. She got septic, and feet and hands necrotized. Oh, and they had to cut off her arms and legs. Why? Why would you want to live? Why that way? would you? Why would you agree to that? I don't know that she did agree to it. She may not have been conscious. Someone made the decision for her. That was not her. Yep. And yep. so here's this woman. No arms. and le- What What is yep. left to you? Yeah, there's no real life with her. That's not Nothing. life. No. That's just breathing. No. That's, not, that, that's not life. Every, for every minute of your continued existence, you're going to have to be attended yes. by somebody that would rather not be there. Yep. And I, you know, and this is, you know, I mean, in a a situation like that, this is, you know, how awful a thing to do to a human being, you know, that's, that's a real thing that I dealt with a lot because, you know, I I trusted the doctors that I consulted, they're longtime students of mine, uh, good people. uh, Yeah, you knew the guys, you know, they weren't bullshitting you. No, you know, you 
convincing them that I was more interested in a quality of life than a quantity of life was a very difficult conversation to have. They just couldn't, uh, they couldn't get that very well. Uh, you know, they wanted me to live as long as possible. Um, I mean, Greg, God almighty, how is it not obvious to everybody that being here in an exceptionally compromised version of you is is not uh, is not acceptable. Now here's here's what everybody right now is saying. Everybody's saying, "Well, so you can't fuck. So you have to wear a diaper. How big a problem is that?" Well, and I I guess that only the individual can answer that question for themselves. Now, can't they? You know, you for know. me, for me, it was it was kind of an easy decision. I, you know, the the other factor that people have to consider, you know, I'm not married and I don't have any kids, so I don't have anybody that I have to support. And right. you know, if if I if someone was respo- I was responsible for taking care of someone, that might change the the equation. But the other thing, you know, talking about that, you know, I'm a single guy and active in the dating world. You know, uh, it's one thing not being able to have sex if you you know you've been married thirty years and you're already committed to your to your spouse but finding a new uh a woman a new spouse uh starting out not having sex that's not a real likely scenario and well it's not a good 40s, scenario I, you know there's no. probably lots of girls out there that don't really care about it in fact i know there are lots <laughs> of girls out there that don't really care about it but i don't want to i'm not that's not the kind of woman i want to be with right right yeah so uh you you know you just the the whole damn thing is is uh is fairly nuanced didn't it i mean it just depends on what a guy wants out of the deal yeah you know yeah if if you're happy wearing a diaper and you you don't fuck anyway that maybe maybe, maybe, radical prostatectomy is fine for you i mean at least you get to sit there and watch the dallas cowboys on sunday afternoon (laughs) which is you know the pinnacle of your existence anyway (laughs) right but but i'm just not that's just not an option for me and i'm but this deal with bush this this changes the game now it really does how many i mean he's one of just three or four people in the world doing this well, it, and, it's actually really common in Europe and Australia right now. Um, right. There's a lot of guys doing it there, but there's only, there's fewer than 10 doing it in the United States right now. It's been around six years, I think, but it's only been approved in the United States since, I think, 2021. Um, but, yeah, there's 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 several doctors doing them, um, but he's one of the ones who's done the most. Right, right. Yeah, I was I was impressed with him when we – had our conversation here on the podcast and uh he uh I th- he's the first one in the country that that brought this european technology yes. over here we're actually yes. working inside the mri suite is the yes correct the, your your whole your whole lower body's in the mri suite the whole the, during the whole surgery and i don't understand how they do that i i had an mri uh last week uh uh for my knee i've got a extremely fucked up knee and i'm considering a revision procedure on that and uh i was in the mri for for that and that's just a diagnostic mri and i understand the machine's different but i don't see how you could function in that environment as a surgeon 
Well, so, so what, they, does it, what does it look they, like? So they strap they strap the the patient down. So they you can't have any movement uh, right. during this because this is all computer controlled. And what they have is they have this this rod. You know, like I said, it's pretty thick diameter, bigger than the diameter of a pencil, um, and it is on kind of a stand that elevates it up off of off of the the lower level of the MRI, the floor of the MRI machine. So mm-hmm. it kind of looks like a microphone stand, just like the microphone stand you've got there. But imagine a rod instead of the microphone taking the place. And that rod is threaded up the urethra. I'll never and... look at this microphone the same way. <laughs> Ever again. Yes, luckily it was a little bit smaller than the diameter of the microphone. Right, right. But that rod is threaded up in the urethra and they're looking at it and they place that um, with the assistance of the MRI and that rod oscillates, it spins and delivers the heat uh, where the computer determines the cancer is. So you're immobilized and you just have this little kind of microphone stand and a rod there and it's all controlled via computer. And so Joe's not in the MRI machine with you. He's he yeah he's not in the machine. No, he's sitting behind it. He's sitting um, behind it, reading. monitoring the monitoring. Yes. the reading is the MRI procedure. Yep, yep. There's an MRI tech and a couple of nurses that are in there making mm-hmm. sure that um, the patient stays out and isn't moving and everything's yeah. Good the with an you. anesthesia people got to be yep. standing there yep. at your head. So yeah. did they anesthetize you before they put you in the tube? They did yes yes that's good so i don't um, like and, that at all then they, they didn't wake me up till i was out on in a recovery room so um i Man. no feeling at all of any of that so dr bush even if he did uh, he's he was telling me how it would go and showing me the equipment. And he said, you know, it takes about two minutes to get that rod inserted and properly placed. And then everything after that, uh, is just the computer mapping of the, of where the cancer is and the planning on how to deliver the, the ultrasound to those tumors. Well, I, I wonder how many machines there are in the country right now and how fast they're making them. Because I, I don't this know. has the uh, potential the, to completely re- revise the entire urology really industry, and it, it really needs does. to as quick as possible. Well, you know, um, in Europe and in Australia, according to Dr. Bush, uh, the blind biopsy that people get when their PSA is too high that I that I suffered um, that isn't the standard of care in Europe and Australia. The standard of care is one of these MRIs, and these MRIs are sensitive enough that they can find the cancer with just as good accuracy as the um, the biopsies. Well, they have without, to be better you know, accuracy than the biopsies. Yes, because the biopsy is just taking of, the taking a random sample across a cross section. You got it. You got it. So I think the real revolution is people, you know, as these machines proliferate, people are going to start choosing the MRI as the next step once they get a high PSA rather than the barbaric biopsy. And I think that's a big, big positive change. Oh, it is. It's a, it's a huge advance, a huge advance. And because the biopsy, the twelve needle biopsy, has got a, a significant risk in terms of if you've actually got a big aggressive tumor in your prostate, and they run a bunch of needles through it, yep, and and pull out 
the biopsy samples. Yep. What you're happens? Dragging the, cancerous tissue you're through healthy dragging tissue. Dragging cancerous tissue through the capsule that previously yep. was encapsulated. Correct. I mean, it's, that's the physical reality of the situation. Yep. Right? Absolutely correct. Yep. And uh, I, I just don't see how anybody thought that was a good idea. Yeah. You know, it, it's not. It's not. You know, uh, no, I think it, in addition to being horribly barbaric and potentially dangerous, it's just, it, it's not the best way to go now. You know, well, now that we've got technology in that the, we don't need it. In the, in the face of this being available while you're nuts but, if you but most guys now most guys are not assholes like me and you most <laughs> right. guys are not yes. big enough assholes yep. to say well i mean after all he is a doctor right you know and this and is most what guys says are... i have to do and i mean you had three guys tell you this is what you had to do yep. but you were yep. a big enough asshole to say you know you know, I, I thank you guys for your opinion, but fuck. Yeah. No, no, I don't know. There's no, no, we're going to do it like that. Right. And, right. Um, and it's just, you know, it's a, it's a damn shame that uh, the, well, I mean, look at it this way. How many people wore the mask? Right. Right. You know, Same most people idea. wore the mask because most people do what they're told. Yep. Most people will. Most people respond positively to an admonition from authority. That's it. And uh, the doctor's the authority, and the doctor said you need to chop your prostate out and piss in your pants and never have a heart on again the rest of your life. That's what the doctor said we got to do, so you're go ahead and get it over right. with. Well, right. you guys, look, don't wear the mask. Because it doesn't work. It never did work. If you thought about it 10 seconds, you'd know it didn't work. And don't let them chop your prostate out. Just because that's the only procedure your urologist knows how to do. That's what it is. That's, that's, that's all what there is to that, it, isn't it? That's, that's what our medical industry is equipped to do. Yes. You know, there's so few of these MRI machines in the United States. If every patient with a high PSA requested one of these MRIs, it would, there would be year long backups. Right. You can't get so, the demand for it right now. But if enough of you start thinking about it like this, the demand will go up and the supply will go up. And pretty soon, five years from now, you've got a viable alternative to this this barbaric chopping out of the prostate yeah you know yep. and i you know i, I just i can't it just boggles my mind yeah that people it's... would agree to have this done i mean you know you're you're 68 year old guy you show up with a psa of 20 you go to the doctor as a result of the psa number and he says mm -hmm. well we've got to got to chop your prostate out i mean it's got to yeah. be done it's got to be done and we you know i've got i'm available tuesday morning yeah you know we yeah. do it tuesday morning uh yeah. I'm gonna, i call the the or appointment in right now let's get this let's get this out of there man let's get, let's get it let's get, get it yeah. done quickly but, but wait 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 what happens to me 
after this is after this is done well you know typically well, these things result in incontinence and impotence well, 30%. It, yeah yeah 30 percent of men who who 30 percent is bullshit yes it's you it's know far that's higher. bullshit that's yes. bullshit i mean even if it is actually 30 percent, that's bullshit yeah. one in three yeah. no no, no, I'm, I'm just that. So, so the, the the decision in this circumstance will always come down on you. Yeah. What are so you willing? One, there, a, how bad do you want to be here? Yeah. There's you know? a really, really good uh, study that I read. You know, I, I told you I took a year, and every night after work, when I got home from my cop job, I read PubMed studies, and. There were several studies on how long it takes for a person to research and schedule the radical prostatectomy after being um, told by their doctor that they need it. And mm -hmm. almost everyone gets it within two months of their initial diagnosis. Almost all the patients get a prostatectomy within two months of their initial cancer diagnosis. Well, we know prostate cancer in most cases is a really slow growing cancer. This is yeah. one that doesn't have to be rushed. Um, you know, right. and I took a full year to research this to decide I'm not gonna and go that route. you had an aggressive form of the disease. I did, I did. You and, had an aggressive and, form of the disease. Now, most of the time, uh, Prostate cancer is not aggressive. In fact, Correct. I've seen I've seen studies that show that like something on the order of eighty five percent of men over the age of fifty have some cancer cells in their prostate. Sure. And will sure. die of something else. Yeah. Yep. Die of something else. You'll die with prostate cancer, with, not from it. Not from. Now yes. Dan Fogelberg had a you know, famous example, he was 59, he had an aggressive form of prostate cancer, and yep. poor Dan, you know, but I, but that's not the norm. The norm right. is it's a very slow-growing, and it's encapsulated. Yep. The You've membrane got around the prostate is a very, yes. very thick piece of connective tissue. It's, it's it a is. tendon, basically, yes. around, the, around this gland. And... One of the things that, that I would think would be a real bad idea would be to poke 12 holes in the goddamn thing. Weaken it. Uh, weaken it, yeah. Weaken it. Drag stuff out into the general circulation yep. that needs to stay right where it is. And I'm, I'm telling you, there's not any circumstances under which I would have a, a, a prostate biopsy. No. You know, what, what I would tell people now, if I, if I had to do this all over again, right. once, once I got the high diagnosis, the first thing I would do is get a very high sensitivity MRI before I got the biopsy. Now, no one is going to do any kind of surgery or treatment on you until they get biopsy results. That's the true diagnosis. But you can you can rule out the very aggressive cancers and um, the dangerous ones with the MRI. That would be my first step. And then well, I, now it, let me ask you. Let me let me follow up on that, because did did Bush require a biopsy? No, he used the biopsies from my previous ones. He used my previous biopsy. To do had that. you gone uh, he, to Bush, yes, and and had the MRI, yes, and he saw an aggressive cancer, would he have biopsied? 
I think, uh, uh, yes, he does biopsies there. He does he does a different kind of biopsy that is a MRI-guided biopsy. So he steers a small number of needles directly into the cancerous tumor rather than right. blindly sticking you. Scatter shot the whole thing, right? Correct. So he'll he'll do one, two, three spots, minimizing it, um, and use the MRI machine to steer it right towards the aggressive tumor, part of the tumor. And that would, that would be the route that I would go rather than, because the MRI, you may not ever need a biopsy if it's, you know, if it's Gleason three plus three, the real minor stages of cancer, uh, I, you know, you probably wouldn't even need anything. You could just very safely watch that because um, those tend not to get worse. They get bigger, right. but they don't metastasize. So um, that would be, that would be the route that I would go. And the other thing that I would do if I did get biopsies, um, I didn't know this at the time, but there is um, there's discrepancies in the way the pathologist grades these tumors. And these tumor grades really determine your future treatment options. And um, I would have gotten second opinions on the gradings of the tumors because um, the difference of between a three plus four and a four plus three, which is just the the prevalence of the aggressive part of the cancer in the tumor, mm-hmm. um, is a completely different treatment option given the standard treatment terminology. Um, so I would definitely say go with the MRI. Go with the MRI guided biopsy if that is necessary, and then get second opinions from a different pathologist about what the grade of the tumor is, because that all changes the future from there. Well, that's uh, that's. Uh, I, I hope you guys are listening to this. Okay, all of us guys are at some point going to have to make a decision about PSA screening if the number comes back wrong and what to do after that every one of us has to deal with this and the way you deal with it is very very important Uh, prostate cancer is is fairly common across the population it's fairly common you know like I said it is it is theorized that probably 85% of the male population over the age of 50 has got some cancer cells in their breast. Which means that uh, what you do in response to a PSA test uh, may have some extremely serious uh, consequences for the rest of your life. Yeah. Um, What you decide about uh, how to deal with this is uh, is a is a terribly important thing, but if you just if you go to one urologist and he says we got to chop your prostate out and you just let him do it, you are fucking up. Yes, you are yes. fucking up. Yes, and it it with extremely serious consequences. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah, it's, yeah. this is. You know, I'm glad we got to talk to Greg today about this because, you know, the we talked to to Joe on the podcast a while back, and uh, I heard a whole lot of good things about that podcast. A whole bunch of people really appreciated the information, and to get to hear from Greg on his outcome on this thing, uh, it's uh, it's very important to get this information out there because a lot of people um, are 
not in a position where they'll hear this from many people. Now, I have to ask you, what would have happened had you not had the initial PSA screen? What do you think would have happened? The cancer would, uh, my prostate was small. I didn't have any BPH issues. I didn't have any kind of issues with urinary stream. So even with the tumors. So what would have happened was the cancer would continue to grow and it would have spread. It would have metastasized before I noticed any symptoms. This cancer tends to metastasize to the lungs and to the bones. So usually the first symptoms that one sees are fractures, bone fractures. So I would likely have gone on living my normal life and ended up breaking breaking you know a vertebrae when I was squatting heavy, and that would be my indication that I had cancer. Right. And in a situation like yours, where you have a family history of this sort of thing, uh, a PSA is is probably a good idea. Yeah, that's what right. I thought. That's what I thought. But I wasn't I wasn't going to use that as my sole decision right. to move forward. You know, I wanted evidence that it would it was continuing to rise. It wasn't due to an aberration like an infection or having too much sex the day before the st- test. I right. so I I waited a couple years and had a pattern of rising, and it was getting to a a much higher level than it should have been before right. I did anything at all. Right. Well. Uh... You know, I think that the, the tide, the public opinion about PSA screening has already started to change. It has. A, a lot of people are talking about this now, whereas 10 years ago, it was just cut and dried. It was just, it was just assumed PSA 7.5, PSA. well, you've got prostate cancer. You've got prostate cancer. We need to take that thing out. Yep. Whereas now, it's you know, there are people becoming more aware of the other factors involved in this. Yes. And uh, the the uh, the consequences of just going in, you know, on the first indication of chopping out the prostate with knives and swords and, you know, all kinds of things <laughs> yeah. like that. Uh, it's, uh, you know, this is this is terribly important to guys, you know, it really is. Here, in the back yeah. of our mind, all of us in the back of our mind. What if I have prostate cancer? Yep. What do I do? What do I have prostate cancer? You know, if you've got a family history of prostate cancer, if you've got a family history of any kind of cancer, that may predispose you to being much more concerned about it. I, in a fortunate situation, we, you know, our ripidos just don't get cancer. But, uh, you know, we just we get to be about 83 and we just go yeah fuck fall over dead you know <laughs> not a bad way to go you know it, it's so uh it's uh but a but a situation where most guys are still laboring under the delusion that their doctor is uh second in command to jesus yeah yeah is you know this this has to be this has to be outgrown it, you guys really need does. to outgrow this. You've got to learn to think about your own health. You've got to inform yourself. This may mean that you have to read papers. Yeah. It may mean that you have to learn how to understand the language in a medical paper. You have to yeah. learn for yourself. 
And it, it may mean that you have to start recognizing that not all medical papers are created equal. True. And so, in other words, the responsibility for your health and your continued longevity belongs with you, not That's with correct. the doctor. Yeah. belongs with you. The doctor yeah. is a consultant. That's it. And that's all he is, is a consultant. But if you hand him responsibility for your continued existence, you may not like what happens. You're right. And that's You're that's right. the primary message of today's yep. podcast. Yep. Right? That that's that's exactly it. You gotta do your research. You need to be an advocate for yourself. Don't assume the doctor knows what's best for you because what might be best for the doctor, even if he has good intention and is isn't motivated by purely profit, you know, he, he's looking at, you know, a long life. He isn't thinking of a long life with you never having sex again and being in a diaper. Um, that's not really his concern. He got rid of the cancer and that's a success for him. And that right. may not be right. a success for you. You know, the other thing is this is a slow growing disease. You've got time. Don't be rushed into any decisions. You've got time for multiple opinions. You've got time to read the research. Uh, take the time and do the research. Or even if you if, if you don't feel capable of studying the scientific papers like I did every night, you know, multiple consultations with different types of doctors, urologists, radiation oncologists, people like Dr. Bush, everybody has a little different piece of the pie and getting multiple opinions is really critical in this kind of a situation. It really is. And uh, because no one person operating in this field has got the whole picture. Correct. There's just too much information to be mastered. Yes. So yep. you have to talk to different people about it. And then yep. you have to synthesize the answer that is best for your situation. That's and it. that's that's the bottom line. Boys yes. and girls, it's it's your responsibility, not the doctor's. So don't hand him the responsibility. If you do that, then you are responsible for that bad outcome. Right. You damn sure yeah. are. Uh, Greg, how do we get a hold of you? How can people contact you if they either want to talk to you a little bit more about this situation or about your 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 tactical instructions that sort of thing how do we get a hold of yeah. you yeah, I appreciate it. Probably the easiest way is through my website. My my training business is Active Response Training. And my website for that is Active Response Training, all one word, dot net. There's a contact form right on that website that goes straight to my email that goes straight into things. I also do a bunch of third world adventure travel and written a couple books in that area. Uh, so I have another website, chooseadventurebook.com. You can reach me through there as well. And I'm on all the social media stuff as well. Do you run guided trips overseas, that sort of thing? <laughs> not yet. Not yet. I've thought about it, but um, yeah, I'm too busy having fun. <laughs> that would be, well, that's a good place to go have some fun. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And get paid for it. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, man, I sure do appreciate your being here. Uh, I appreciate Greg you Ella Fritz is uh Greg Elifritz has been our guest today. And we, uh, we appreciate his time. We appreciate his story. And you guys need to pay attention to the stuff we've talked about today because it may be very, very important for you. Thanks for joining us again on Starting Strength Radio. We'll see you next time.